Uh, let's pray. And God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy and, and for, for the gathering of churches. Lord, I pray that as we enter into this season, that the church would recognize that we have a tremendous opportunity to love on people. Not only corporately in, in community context, but individually, God. And I pray that you would show us, that you would give us eyes to see where we can share the gospel in real ways, both in the spiritual and in the physical. Lord, this morning as we look into your word, I pray that it would reach down into the hearts of each one of us and bubble up, multiply what you're already doing there. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. So this is our text for the week, Isaiah 40, 3 through 5. You know, what I find interesting is you can move through life and be ignorant of the truth of the gospel. Now, I say truth because we can move through life and have different ideas of what Jesus and God and the Bible and this whole gospel thing means. And, and, and so there, 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 many people have different ideas of what it means. And some are, are very, are, they're based in truth. And then there's some that aren't so much based in truth, but they're just, you know, they kind of heard something that someone once said. And so they kind of take that in. And there's some outright uh, lies out there about God, Jesus, and the gospel, and all those things. And, and so it, it's, it's very possible for people to live their entire life without knowing the truth of the gospel. Now, we, we all bring our prejudice, all people bring their prejudice in, in the areas of faith, in the areas of, of God and Jesus and the Bible and things like that. There's even prejudice in the church uh, in, in, in context to those things. Now, if you don't know, let me tell you that there is a, an entity that has its claws in this world. And that entity um, is kind of, it kind of calling the shots for now in this world. And he stands in direct conflict to God. In fact, we would call this person, this thing, this spiritual entity, whatever you want to say, we would call him Satan. And one of his jobs is to keep people from knowing the truth of, job, uh, of God. One of his jobs is to, to kind of seed our minds with lies or mistru mistruths about who God is. And allow those seeds to kind of take root in our heart, in our soul. And then we can just kind of go off and do our own thing and not really know the truth of who God is. This is the reality of the world that we live in. One of his biggest ploys, his biggest ploys is to get us to believe something that's not true about God. Now, I hope last week, as we kind of unpacked the first two verses about comfort my people, <clears throat> that you began to see that faith and the gospel, they're not something that we invented. They're not something that, that we do. Faith and the gospel is something that's being done to us. It's something that's being done to us by God. It's being done to us. It's being done in us. It's God doing and churning and changing and transforming. And we, we came to this point of, of saying that our hard service has been paid for. That our sin has been paid for. 
I'm sorry, our heart service has been completed. Our sin has been paid for. And that our sin can never be bigger, greater, more powerful than the grace, mercy, and the love of God as he pours it out upon us in Jesus Christ. Nothing that we can do can outshine or outdarken the love of the grace and the mercy of God that he has for us in Jesus Christ. That the gospel is not something that we try to do It's not like a new way of life that we try to enter into, like some diet or exercise program, but it's God's doing in us and through us and around us. And so we wrestle with questions in the church, and I think they're good to wrestle with. I think they're good to always keep these things in front of us to help us understand and clarify and know who we are and what direction we're going in. Like, what does surrender really look like? And and, and how do I surrender? And how does God pay for this whole sin thing? And I know that sounds like a very simple question, like almost like you'd give the classic Sunday school answer, you know, Jesus. And and, and that's true. But, but, I mean, it's good to wrestle with these things. And how does God change us? How does he transform us? How does he change us from the inside out. And and this whole idea of blessing and his grace and his mercy, why does he do that for us? And and why is it in such a such a large capacity and quantity? Why does he outgive my darkness? Those are all good questions that we should always keep in front of us because it always keeps us in tune with the gospel and who God is and who Jesus is. Remember what we're up against in this world. Remember what we looked at last week, this, this idea of hard service, that life is difficult. As I kind of um, dug deeper into the, this whole verses 1 through 5 this week, I found that that phrase, hard service, in the Hebrew actually is better translated as warfare. That we are in warfare, that we are in a fight. And man, it's, it could be draining at times, and it could be tiring, and it wears us down, and it makes us weary. And, and, and that's just what happens when you're in a battle. That's just what happens when you're, when you're fighting. If you watch the news, or if you've seen the news, and, and you know that, you've probably heard this phrase called, um, you know, the, the war-weary public. And it talks about how our nation sometimes gets tired of all the conflicts that we're involved in. And so politically, they throw out this term, we're, we're war-weary. But for us, the, the believer in Christ, even for people in general, there's, there's something much deeper that, that, that takes place in us, that, that tiredness that we feel of always seeming to try to fight what, what always is coming at us. And always there's this struggle in our heart and in our soul and in our mind. And we're trying to figure out what goes on. See, the reason why it's much deeper than just the war-weary public is because it's on a spiritual place. It's in a spiritual place. And it's in a heart place. And so it's, it's, it's drawing us in and it's fighting and it's wearing us down. And we look for relief. We look for something that's going to just lighten the load a little bit. And sometimes we look to the world, and, but we find that the world has nothing to really offer us. Many people are open to the God conversation because they're chasing after something. They want something. They want to just find some peace and quiet in their life. And so they're open to the God conversation because, because really we all want what the gospel offers. Peace. And comfort and rest to be forgiven, to really know that you're forgiven. I mean, don't we all have that thing in our, that we've done in our life, that, that, that one thing that, that, that just stands out and we, we hope that God has forgiven that. And we want that assurance that we are forgiven. And see, those blessings don't come in our own terms. 
Those blessings, I mean, it, it would be easy if we got to make the agenda, set the agenda, how we are blessed. But they don't come on our own terms. God will bless in the way that God will bless. That he will bless in the way that he is going to bless. And that way is always through Jesus Christ. God's blessings come through Christ. So God's salvation, God peace, God comfort, all those things, God forgiveness come because of Christ. And so the Christmas story, the incarnation is essential. It's essential because that's how God has chosen to bless his people. The fullness of God comes to us in Christ, in Christ alone. And so you have to ask yourself, I think it's a good question, it's a fair question, do you want those things that the gospel kind of reveals to us and gives to us? Do you want that, that peace and that quiet and that comfort, that forgiveness, that reconciliation, all of those assurances that come in for, from Jesus? And if you do, then I think you have to ask yourself the next question is, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Is he essential? Do you believe that he is the Son of God? You know, this time of year, we, we see all of these different ideas, these different notions about who Jesus is. Christmas kind of bubbles these things up. And we come from being the truth, the biblical truth of who Jesus is, all the way to, to denying who he is. And, and everything in between and this whole conglomerate of, of mixed ideas and things. I was thinking about this during the week and I said, wouldn't it be cool? Like you saw that some of you saw our Easter photo, Ethan and I, we finally, I got, finally got him to sit on the Easter bunny's lap. Well, I'm hoping for, for Santa Claus is here at the mall, but I thought, and yeah, they think I'm a creeper, but that's okay. I don't mind. Um, but, but, but I'm ho- I was thinking, could you imagine having your own display and, and, and have the title pictures with the birthday boy? And have Jesus sitting there. And we can all get our picture. T- no, huh, never mind. I digress. So anyway, so, but from a bit, <laughs> that's the way I think sometimes. From the, from the biblical perspective, Jesus is essential. We are blessed by him. Without his coming, we have nothing. Without his coming, we don't know the forgiveness of God. His sacrifice is how we are forgiven. Our hard service would not be complete. Our sin would not be paid for. And we would get exactly what we deserve, and that is to be separated from God forever. But Jesus puts that all back together again. And so it's good every once in a while to examine your own heart and say, what are you relying on? Is it your job? Is it your money? Is it your investment? Is it your government? Is it your politicians? Is it yourself that you got this all together? See, those things will change. They change all the time. They ebb and they flow. Where is your footing? Is your footing on the shifting sand or is your footing on the rock of Christ? And, and that's, that's an honest question to begin to wrestle with. I am not ashamed to say it. And, and, you know, I'm not afraid to say it, that those blessings from God, that forgiveness, that comfort, that peace, only come through Christ and through Christ alone. I, I, that's, that's what I believe. That's what I sink my feet down onto. And then we come to a verse like this, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. We see here that someone is coming. Something is going to happen. Something new is about to be, about to unfold. That God is coming. And that's where our lasting change and comfort will come from. Nothing eternal takes place that's good for us unless Christ comes onto the scene. It's the core of the Christmas message. It's, it's the foundation of the Christmas message. That Jesus is coming 
because he has to come because we've got nothing unless he does. This announcement happened long before Christ was on the scene. They're preparing the way, the announcement of something new, something amazing, something that's going to going to stagger the imagination, something that you could not make up if you were in the if you were a person who made up things that you just couldn't imagine this that the Messiah, that God himself was going to be born into this world. And so God tells the prophet, hey, listen, tell these people, tell these people that, that, that it's, it's coming, it's going to be huge, and they're not even going to start, they're not even going to believe it. And so Christmas, as we prepare, as this is Advent part two, you have to understand that, that, that to that point that Jesus came into the world, nothing like that had ever happened It was a unique experience in human history. Nothing compares to it. It's in a category all by itself. Prepare the way for the Lord. Prepare the way for the Lord. You know, in the Bible, you can read about the prophets and you can read about the patriarchs, uh, these these great men and women of God, and, and their stories are in here and and you know, and, and it's ama- like they made the Bible. Like none of us are ever going to be mentioned in the Bible, but these people are in the Bible. That's a pretty big deal. And then if you look at history, history will talk about um, leaders and, and men and women who have made just huge contributions to to the human cause, to the human conditions, to, to humanity in of itself. And then if you look at other religions and philosophies, you have people like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle and Buddha and Confucius. These are thinkers that have stood the test of time. Now, you can disagree or agree with the things that they, they wrote, but it, but I, and I'm not here to agree or disagree with them. What I'm saying is their teachings have lasted a long time. I will guarantee you that people are not going to be listening to my podcast online in a thousand years. I'm sure that no one's going to read your journal, maybe one of you, but m- m- most of you, they're not going to read your journal 2,000 years from now and go, <gasps> These thinkers have stood the test of time, but Jesus is, is not even in that category. He is head and shoulders above them, beyond what we can ever imagine, beyond what has ever taken place in the world. Something amazing has happened. Something amazing has gone down, and, and our faith begins with that. It has its foundation in that, and I would suspect that if, if, if you don't look at it as something like, oh, then it's not Christianity, it's not our faith. A a, a voice of one calling, prepare the way for the Lord. God himself is coming. Creator, sustainer of the universe is coming. He's coming into our history. He's coming into our time. He's coming under the constraints of being human. God is coming to be human. I don't know. I was trying to think of a comparison of what that might be like. And and I thought maybe, well, it would be like us becoming an amoeba to save the amoebas from whatever amoebas need saving from. But God is coming. And yet he doesn't lose any of being God as he's human. He's fully divine. Something amazing has happened. Now, let me give you a little bit of history. So these... these, um, Verses 3 and 4, voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way the Lord makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. This, this is a historical 
context concept. If you were a nobleman or a king and you had a long journey to travel, the roads back then in, in the time of Isaiah, they weren't, they're probably like our roads in Connecticut now. They're just not, um, they're not very good. And, and so you would, and, and they drove by like chariots and wagons and things like that. And they didn't have, you know, struts and all kinds of uh, suspension. And so they would send people out ahead of them to prepare the roads, to clean up the roads, to fill in the potholes, to knock down the berms and the hills, make everything smooth so this nobleman or king could have a smooth ride to wherever he was going. Now, if you were like a a, a big king, like if you were a really famous king and you had the money, you would send people out and they would just carve your own own road. And so you would be the first one to drive on this road. So, So what Isaiah is writing here is in the context of history. That he's saying that there is a journey that's going to take place. And this, this journey is a very special journey. And it's going to be underwent, undergone by a very special person. It's, it's the most astounding, one of the most single astounding moments in history. As far as history has been recorded. That God, our eternal divine creator, is sending his own son into this world to become sin. So that we can be his righteousness. That we can be redeemed. It's the Christmas story. It's the Christmas faith. Steve, would you go to the next slide? Look at what it is written in Galatians. But when the time, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. This is one of the most astounding, sacred events that changed the course of history. Christmas happened. The birth of Jesus happened. And so our faith, our message is that the Son of God came into the world and His name is Jesus, and God is prepared to pour out His blessings in the world through Jesus Christ. That's the Christmas message. That's the Christmas story. And the entire world should be cheering for this. We should all be doing the, the icky shuffle. You know what I'm talking Like the Geico commercial? Get, get me some comfort. Get me, you know, I mean, we should all be ecstatic. Like when the Giants won the Super Bowl a few years ago. We should be losing our minds and yet we live. We live like it's never happened. There is no, there seems to be a lot of joy or excitement in it. Just look at the way we celebrate Christmas culturally today. There's an absence of the sacred and the holy. And it's about how good the stores are going to do to boost the economy. God has spoken comfort, comfort my people. And his way to comfort them is sending his son Jesus, that all who would believe him in him would have eternal life. And they would not perish. This is the story of, I mean, it's not just about a baby in a manger. This is the story of Christmas. This is our salvation. Steve, would you go to the next slide? A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straits in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. Before Jesus would arrive into history, certain things needed to be prepared. 
there was a leveling out. Certain things needed to be brought down and other things needed to be lifted up. This is what took place. This is what happened before Jesus and during Jesus and when Jesus came. Baby Jesus, a helpless newborn, crying and hungry with that newborn baby rubberneck that they have, laying in a manger. There, I, I mean, babies are, are adorably cute, but there's nothing that, that, uh, that shows the human weakness than a newborn baby. There's nothing that, that, that is an example of human weakness than a newborn baby. And yet, this baby... Now remember, I, I think sometimes we forget about, especially us, us older folk, what, what a baby does. And, and Jesus was fully human in that moment. Jesus, God, he came as a baby. And yes, it, it, and he came, he came filling his first century huggies like all other babies do. And so there was a real human factor that sometimes we don't even think about. But yet in that moment, he had the power of God. He had the divinity of God. He was born into a world that he created and that he holds together. It was all, it was all created through him and for him. And yet here he is in creation, in time. He was high above creation. And I'm not talking um, geographically. I'm talking, and he was divine. He was God and he was made low. There was a humbling. He was made a newborn. He left glory to become one of us. He put aside being worshipped by the heavenly host to be killed by his very own creation. He was made low. The mountains and hills were made low. Jesus humbled himself. God obeyed his earthly parents. He suffered a broken heart at the hands of his, of his own friend. He was betrayed. He went hungry. He was tired. I'm sure his feet hurt from walking around everywhere. He went to the cross. He went to the cross and died a horrible death, a criminal's death. He suffered for hours. Jesus was made low. He humbled himself unto death. The mountain was made low. And yet there's the flip side to this whole story that every valley shall be raised up. It's the beautiful picture of Christmas, the beautiful picture of the gospel that the Virgin Mary, this teenage girl who, who was a nobody in her cultural setting, she was a nobody. She had no name. She had no recognition. She was, she was a peasant. And the angel of the Lord came upon her. And what did he call her? Highly favored. Let me, let me just read this quickly for you. Luke chapter 1. It says, verse 28. The angel of the Lord went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then he continued on. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll receive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's, it's the prophecy of Isaiah coming true. Mary realizing that something amazing is about to happen. This humble virgin would, 
give birth to God's son. Every valley will be raised up. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 16 says that he didn't come to help the angels, but he came to, to help the descendants of Abraham. That we too, because of Jesus, would be raised up. This is the way that the road has been prepared for the coming of the Lord. Jesus, our hope, our forgiveness, the hope of forgiveness, the hope of comfort. It's not just wishful thinking. It's not just blind optimism. It's not just this whole pie in the sky thing. This this is something that we can sink our teeth into. This is the truth of the gospel. This is about knowing. Prepare the way for the Lord. Something new is happening. Something new is going to happen. Something amazing. Something that's going to come upon us that we've never experienced before. We can move in new rhythms and new harmonies and walk with God in different ways. We actually have options to live in. We can move in a new creation. That's the Christmas story. The Christmas story is the beginning of God making everything new. The beginning of God putting everything back together again, just like he promised in the garden. That he would send his son to take the blame. Prepare the way for the Lord to live in a new and an exciting and a different way. It's, it's, it's God's invitation to us to live in something new and sacred and holy. It's our remaking. The Christmas story is about our remaking. It, it's not something that we can just know or understand through, through the world's old paradigm of thinking through things. It's it's God. It's sacred. It's new. It's one of the biggest defining moments in God's putting it all back together again. It's our new creation. What's it say in 2 Corinthians 5? It says, it says the old is gone and the new has come. It's about, it's about us. Hope. Hope during this time of year is about when we realize that through Christ something Something very different is possible. It's about realizing that, that your sin and your brokenness and your betrayals and your hurts and your addictions and your fears, all of those things, all those darknesses that live within us. The hope of Christmas is knowing that those things do not have to have the last word. They do not have to have the last word. Those, Christmas is about knowing that the darkness that's within us doesn't have to win. That evil doesn't win. That's the story of Christmas. That's the hope that we have. That's the preparing of the way of the Lord. John the Baptist in the, in the first three Gospels, he's kind of credited to um, fulfilling this. Matthew, Mark, and Luke both quote parts of these verses. Luke quotes more of it, I believe three through five. John brought a message of preparation. His message was that we would repent for the forgiveness of our sin. That he was preparing the way for the Lord. Repent for the forgiveness of sin. Turn from those things in your life that you have made God and look to the one true God. And we have to be honest with ourselves that we, we have made things in our life God that are not God. And we have given them that ultimate place in our life. We have built, we have raised mountains of pride and arrogance and wealth and greed and self-centeredness and, and this, this arrogant self-confidence. And the message, the preparation is repent and allow those mountains that we have built to be made low. 
lay them, lay them at the, the foot of the cross or, or lay them at the, the side of, of the manger. Prepare the way for the Lord in your own life that you would repent for the forgiveness of your sin. And I'm telling you, in the valley of the knowledge of our true self, that we are broken and that we are sinners and that we are in need of saving, deep down within us, in those valleys, before the Lord, we will be raised up. We will be raised up. Jesus is for the sinner. Jesus is for those who know their sin and that are, that are just hurt and broken by it. He said that it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. It's the sick that need a doctor. And so, you know, pride and stubbornness, they will keep us from going to the doctor. How many of you should have went to the doctor and didn't? You know, your eye is hanging around near your, your chin. Yeah, I don't need a doctor. I'll just pop it back in. It's all good. Ladies, how many times has your husbands should have gone to the doctor and didn't because he's stubborn and he's prideful? And he doesn't want to pay the $30 copay. We will not go to Christ if we allow our arrogance and our pride to keep us from going to him. And, and not even realizing that we're sick. Not even realizing that, that there's something wrong with us. That will keep us from going to the doctor. And not realizing that there's a brokenness deep inside each one of us will keep us from going to Christ to be healed. May we pull down those mountains. May they be made low. So that in those valleys, that we could be raised up. Jesus, he, he came for those who are down and out, both spiritually and morally. There is, no, there is no saving without the care of the Savior. Jesus is for the brokenhearted. Jesus is for the sinner. when you're painfully aware of those things in your life, not that they control you, not that you have, need to walk around with guilt and, 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 and baggage like you're not good enough, but when you're aware of those things, that's in the valley of thinking you're not good enough where Jesus raises you out. And the valley is raised up. And the mountains of our pride and arrogance will be made low. That's the Christmas story. That's the story of Jesus. That's Advent part two. I'm wondering if we could just take a few minutes in quiet. And we can sit for a few minutes and you can begin your own dialogue with the Lord and you can ask him to show you where you've raised those mountains. And you can come humbly before him and tell him just to make them low. And in that, that, that place where you're feeling, that place where you're feeling that guilt or that shame, that valley that, that, that's dark and, and, and the one that brings you tears sometimes when you're by yourself, Present that too to him and allow him to raise that up.
If God is for you, who could be against you? Father, we want to thank you for the invitation that you give us through your word. I pray that we would prepare the way for you in our own heart and our own lives. We know that you want to do something new in us every day. We know that grace and mercy is new every morning. We know that nothing can separate us from your love. Father, I pray for the brokenhearted. I pray for those who who walk in a sense of defeat and or guilt, that you would raise them up. I pray for the pridefulness and arrogance in our own hearts. Lord, we give them over to you and, and please make them low. And as we move through the end of this year, may it be the beginning of a deeper walk for each of us and intimacy with you. We stand before you. We come before you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.